0: We continue our study of the New Testament uh, book of Philippians, uh, where we are in chapter one, which evolves around living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We define the gospel as the good news that Jesus Christ can be ours right now and forever through faith in His sin-forgiving death on the cross, and His life-giving resurrection from the grave. We will skip over uh, the review of verses 1 through 11, verses 1 that you see there in your notes. But before we move on, I do want to reinforce the primary truth we saw in verses 1 through 11. True Christian fellowship is believers coming together to build relationships for the express purpose of spreading the gospel of Christ. If what we call fellowship does not result in the spread of the gospel, call it what you will, but it is not true fellowship. The church's failure... To put the gospel first has had tragic consequences, especially here in America. Uh, we have become uh, lukewarm, uh, impotent, on the decline, and no longer a force to be reckoned with in our culture. As a result, We discover the world is having a greater influence on the church than the church is changing the world. Uh, We find ourselves fretting and complaining about the loss of moral absolutes and the fact that Christianity is under siege here in America. We pray uh, God will give us elected politicians who will turn things around, although By the votes cast by many evangelicals, righteous character in a candidate seems to mean absolutely nothing anymore. Beloved, hear me. Hear me. Yes, the political process is important. It's very important. And we should be involved. But there is not a political candidate alive who can heal the sick and sinful heart of this nation and change its direction. There's only one thing that has the power to do that, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the ultimate answer is not electing the right political candidate, but the elect of God being what God called us to be. There is something terribly wrong when we become more passionate about a political election than spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. My appeal to the Edgewood Baptist family is let's make sure we keep the gospel first. Amen? Let's keep it first and foremost. Now last Sunday we began to examine uh, verses 12 through 26 where the focus is on how to live the gospel of Christ by advancing the cause of Christ. We only had time last week to cover the very first point that you see there in your notes. So let's review that, and then uh, hopefully we'll have time before going into the Lord's Supper uh, to examine the next two points, points two and three, saving the fourth point for next Sunday. But look at that first point, Paul's circumstances resulted in the progress of the gospel all circumstances resulted in the progress of the gospel. Verse 12 reads, now I want you to know brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Here we have one of the greatest examples in the entire Bible that God is in control. How God uses what we consider the worst of circumstances For not only the benefit of his child, but the advance of the gospel. The circumstances Paul was referring to are recorded in the last eight chapters in the book of Acts, beginning with his arrest in Jerusalem, followed by a four-year imprisonment. Two years in Caesarea, which was the provincial capital of Judea, and then two final years in the city of Rome itself. Now, how did God use Paul's imprisonment as an advance for the gospel? In two ways. First, Paul's imprisonment gave him contact with the lost. Paul's imprisonment gave contact with the lost. Verse 13 reads, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the entire Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. We looked last week at the absolutely amazing story of how God used Paul's imprisonment to bring the gospel to the Praetorian Guard, a very elite division of 9,000 Roman soldiers, the most respected the most elite soldiers in the Roman Empire. Their primary task was to protect Caesar and his household. But one of their other duties was to guard prisoners awaiting trial before Caesar, like the Apostle Paul. Soldiers from the Praetorian Guard were literally chained to Paul in four-hour shifts around the clock, 24-7, which meant six soldiers each and every day. Some of these soldiers came to know Christ. And through their witness, the Apostle Paul could say, the cause of Christ became well known throughout the entire Praetorian Guard. All 9,000 of those troops, not that all came to know Christ, but the fact that they were hearing about Jesus. uh, That uh, those men that had come to know Christ had Begun spreading the gospel in that division. And he also says to everyone else, a reference to the two million residents of Rome Jesus Christ, as a result of Paul's imprisonment, literally became the talk of Rome. If that were to happen today, we would say Jesus had gone viral and he was the most trending topic. We also discover at the end of Philippians, even members from Caesar's household came to know Christ through the witness of the Praetorian Guard. What initially appeared to be the greatest setback for the gospel when Paul was arrested turned out to be the greatest advance of the gospel. The second way God used uh, Paul's imprisonment to advance the gospel, was Paul's imprisonment gave courage to the saved. Not only gave him contact with the lost, referring to the Praetorian Guard, but gave courage to the saved. Look at verse 14. Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Prior to Paul's imprisonment, believers in Rome were afraid and reluctant to openly share their faith because of increasing hostilities towards Christianity. God used Paul's courageous example of remaining faithful to the gospel, even in his imprisonment, to inspire and energize the church to share the gospel. Like Paul, we are to view our circumstances... Not as unwelcome obstacles, but opportunities, stepping stones to advance the gospel. Like Paul, our primary focus should not be on how to escape our circumstances, but how to use our circumstances to exalt the magnificence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, from this point on, all is new material. And so as I mentioned, let's see if we can cover at least the next two points in your sermon notes. The second point, Paul's critics were motivated to proclaim the gospel. Paul's critics were motivated to proclaim the gospel. In verses 15 through 18, we discover the impact Paul's imprisonment had on other preachers, church leaders, in the city of Rome, where he was in prison. And we are surprised to find there actually was a divided response. Look at verse 15. Paul says, "Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill." So we discover, as you see in your notes, some preach Christ out of love for Paul. Out of love for Paul, verse 16, he says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, but then sadly, look at that next point, some preach Christ to bring distress to Paul. Verse 17, he says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And then what was Paul's conclusion to all of this? Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Now it is very easy to understand the group of preachers who were motivated to preach with greater fervor out of love for Paul realizing yes he was in prison for the defense of the gospel but how do you explain the second group of preachers who wanted to bring Paul distress in his imprisonment well it's not difficult to see the answer though these preachers proclaimed the true gospel and it's obvious that he did uh, Paul would have never rejoiced in any false teaching or a counterfeit gospel being proclaimed. So, yes, they proclaimed the true gospel, but notice it says they did not do it with what? Pure motives. The problem was not what they were preaching. The problem was in their motives. And there are three words that are used to describe the motives of these men in their preaching. Notice it says envy, strife, and selfish ambition. That's how Paul described them, envy, strife, and selfish ambition. These preachers, here it is, folks, and this is sad that it exists within church leadership, but it existed then, and it's existed throughout church history, and sadly exists today. But these preachers were envious of Paul's position of prominence in the church, they wanted what Paul had, which sadly led to a spirit of competition, a spirit of want rivalry, selfish ambition. That phrase was a word used to describe career professionals who ruthlessly tried to climb the ladder of success, to to become the top in their fields. That word was also used of politicians who sought to win office at any expense. These preachers sadly saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to put Paul down and promote themselves and gain a greater position of prominence within the church. The mistake these preachers made was that they believed Paul thought just like they did, and Paul did not. See, they thought that because Paul was in prison, that he would be dis- distressed, that he had lost the upper hand in this battle for prominence in the church, and he would, he would lose that high position. But Paul was not motivated by selfish, position, uh, uh, selfish ambition. He was motivated by one thing and only one thing, the advance of the gospel. Therefore, Paul's conclusion is, hey, even if their motives are wrong, Christ is being preached, people are being saved, the church is growing, therefore I rejoice. No other place probably shows you the character of this man, uh, the integrity of this man, and the purity of his heart to advance the cause of Christ. Now, before I move on, let me say, This does not mean that motives are not important. Paul is simply showing how God used his imprisonment to advance the gospel. How he used it despite adverse circumstances. And how he used it here despite the wrong motives of his critics. God did not excuse the wrong motives of these preachers any more than God excused those who falsely accused Paul and had him unlawfully imprisoned for four years. Paul knew there was coming a day at Christ's return when God would disclose the motives of men's hearts and each man would then be given the praise due him. And he was willing to wait for that day of reckoning. Look at the third point in in your notes. Paul's confidence was his imprisonment was a God-given opportunity to exalt the prize of the gospel and that is the very heart of verses 12 through 26 where Paul is basically giving the Philippians an update on his situation a ministry report but realize he's doing much more than that he's literally holding his life up as an example for them to follow an example for you and I to follow today And Paul was saying, I'm placing my confidence. I'm banking everything on the fact that my imprisonment is actually a God-given opportunity to exalt the prize of Jesus Christ. Now, first look at the source of Paul's confidence. We're going to look at the source of Paul's confidence, the goal of Paul's confidence, and the outcome of his confidence. Look at the source of his confidence. In verse 19 we read, For I know, verse 19, For I know that this is shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand when Paul mentions deliverance, he's not talking about release from prison. He's talking about something much more important to him than that. He's talking about his ultimate vindication and the vindication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it is through his life or it is through his death. And in verse 19, Paul mentions three things... That were the source of his confidence. First, the precepts of God. Or you might want to say the promises of God. The precepts or the promises of God. When Paul wrote, look at that phrase, this shall turn out for my deliverance. That phrase right there. He is quoting directly from the Septuagint. You know what the Septuagint was? It was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And what he is quoting is Job 13, verse 16. This also will be my salvation. He is resting, anchoring his life on the word of God. As Job was vindicated in his sufferings, Paul was confident that God would vindicate him. Paul's confidence was rooted in the precepts, in the promises of God's word. The second source of Paul's confidence was the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the saints. Paul wrote, my deliverance through your prayers. Just like Paul prayed for believers, and we find his prayers for believers in the epistles, in the books that he wrote, he also coveted their prayers for him. And he's continually asking for prayer in the letters that he wrote. Paul believed in prayer. He believed it was the God-given means to secure God's provision to accomplish God's plan. And that is what prayer is. It's the God-given means to secure the God-given provision to accomplish God's plan. It's not just a blank check for you to get what you want. No, it's a weapon, it's an instrument that he's placed in the hand of the believer to see God's will executed in our lives, in our church, and here on earth, even as it is done in heaven. The third source of Paul's confidence was the provision of the Spirit. The provision of the Spirit, the precepts of God, or the promises of God, the prayers of the saints, and now the provision of the Spirit. And that's exactly how he closes verse 19. And the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knew. He knew. That no matter what hardship he faced in life. He would never have to walk through it alone. That the spirit who lived in him. Would be there for him. To guide him. To strengthen him. To encourage him. And when necessary, yes, to even carry him. What is going to enable you to endure your adversity? What is going to enable you to remain faithful to Christ in your adversity? The same thing that enabled the Apostle Paul. The Word of God prayer, and the Spirit of God. Amen? Now, look now at the goal of Paul's confidence. The goal of Paul's confidence. And I love this. It's so simple, but so profoundly powerful. And as well, convicting. First, Paul's goal was to never disgrace Christ. To never disgrace Christ. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope. That I shall not be put to shame in anything. And he's talking about dishonoring Jesus. He says, that is my goal. That that is everything that my focus is on. No matter what the circumstance is. That in it, I would never disgrace uh, the name of Jesus Christ. But not only was it to never disgrace Christ, look at the next point, but to always what? Exalt Christ. Never to disgrace Christ, but always to exalt Christ. He says, but that with all boldness, the latter part of verse 20, Christ shall even now, right here in this prison, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, whether I am released or whether I am executed. Now go back up there to that first part of verse 20. You might want to circle those two words. Earnest expectation. Earnest expectation. In the Greek text, fascinating, fascinating word. It means for the head to be erect. The head to be outstretched. And focused on one singular thing. And that singular thing that it is focused on becomes the goal of that individual. To reach it. To obtain it. To embrace it. And this is amazing. Here Paul is in prison. He's been in prison at the writing of this letter close to four years. And we get a wonderful glimpse into the heart of this man. He's in prison. Well, what is he hoping for? What is he expecting God to do? And he says, This is it. This is my goal. This is my focus. That I will not disgrace Christ. That Christ will be exalted. Whether I live or whether I die. Paul is saying. Listen now. Listen, 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 listen. Paul is saying. The issue is not whether I'm released from prison. Or suffer execution. But that Christ is exalted. The lesson we learn is that God does not want us to concern ourselves with how our circumstances will turn out. That is not to be your concern. It's not to be my concern. God wants our concern to simply be on how to use our circumstances to make Christ known to others. When it comes, again, to how our circumstances turn out, that's God's business. And since, folks, He knows what is best, and He has the ability to accomplish it, we can rest in the potter's hands. We can rest. This frees us to focus on what God called us to be. See, if you're focusing on how your circumstances are going to turn out, that's a ready formula for worry and anxiety. And that's where many of you are, and that's where many of you live. And Paul says, stop living that way. That should not be your concern, how your circumstances turn out. That is a sovereign God's decision. And He knows best. He has the ability. Just trust Him. Rest in Him. Your focus, your concern... Is how to exalt Christ in your circumstances. To be what God called you to be. And what has God called you to be? Look at the next statement in your notes. God uses a believer. And often a believer's adversity. As both a microscope microscope and a telescope. To magnify the greatness of Christ to unbelievers. Who see him as small. And bring Christ close to unbelievers who see him only at a distance. Let me repeat that and then I'll explain it. See, God uses you. He's called you as a believer to be a microscope, to be a telescope. To magnify the greatness of Christ to unbelievers who only see him as small. And to bring Christ close to unbelievers who only see him at a distance. See, you were redeemed by God. You were redeemed by God. You were saved to be a microscope, to be a telescope, to magnify the greatness of Jesus. See, unbelievers only see Jesus at a distance. As some figure in history that lived many, many years ago. But he has no relationship to their lives uh, today. So you are God's telescope to bring Jesus close to unbelievers. Now... How does God do that? Through the testimony of your life. As they see Jesus in you. You know, we had two wonderful examples of this last Sunday morning. We had Adam, the young husband and father, that came down and made his public profession of faith after coming to know Christ just a few weeks ago. Well, how did that happen? God used his wife as a telescope to bring Jesus close to her husband. God used the testimony of her forgiveness, forgiving like Jesus in a very difficult situation, to enable her husband to see Jesus. God used the ministry of this church to bring Jesus close. To this young man. And as he had this up close encounter with Jesus. He fell in love with him. And embraced him as his Lord and his Savior. We had another example. I don't know how many of you knew this. But last Sunday we had a uh, reporter and a cameraman that were here. Uh, They were here to uh, interview me after the service related to pregnancy center uh, Ministry. The reporter uh, was a woman that had many, many years in the field. She had, for many years, uh, been a reporter for CNN, uh, also for Al Jazeera, and uh, now is working for PBS. Her and that cameraman, they sat through our entire service waiting to speak to me when the service was over. She didn't know the Lord. She came up to me immediately the first opportunity she had, after I shook hands uh, out in the vestibule, her eyes were watering, and she was visibly moved and impacted by the service, by what she witnessed in this place. The first thing she told me was, says, "Your people just overwhelmed me with their kindness." They didn't even know who I was, but I can't tell you how many people I came up came up to me to shake my hand to introduce themselves to me, just to show friendship. She said I, I, I was moved by the song. I was moved by the message. See, God last Sunday used our church as a telescope to bring Jesus close to this woman who had only seen him previously at a distance. And I would ask you to uh, continue to pray for her. Uh, that God would do a great work of grace and bring her, uh, bring her to him. But to the unbeliever, Jesus is not only at a distance, but he's also very small. I mean, he is. He's very small to an unbeliever. I can remember those days in my life. I mean, other things to an unbeliever are far bigger, are far greater are far more important than Jesus. So you are God's microscope to magnify the greatness of Jesus in their eyes. Now, how does God do that? this? Through the trials of your life. That's how he does it. As the unbeliever watches you go through a crisis, he or she is able to see just how big, just how great God is. See, you are God's lens to bring Christ into focus so that those who see him as distant, those who see him as very little, will be able to see him up close and personal for the great and awesome God that he is. And that is what you and I have been called to do. Now, in closing this morning, look at Paul's confidence. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm gonna to have to move quickly. We need to make the transition to the Lord's Supper, but I can move quickly. Do you know in the Greek text, you know how that literally reads? It's, it's stunning. It's simply to live Christ, to die gain. That's it. That's verse 21 in the Greek text. And it's amazing when you see it coming out of verse 20. He says, Paul says, this is my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, that I would never disgrace Christ, but that with all boldness, right now, right here in this prison, that Jesus Christ would be exalted in my body. He would use me as his telescope, as his microscope, to magnify his greatness to the lost, and that he would do that whether I live or whether I die. And then he says, to live Christ, to die gain to live Christ, to die game. Now jump to the very last statement in your notes. The very last statement in your notes. Philippians 121 is a valuable test for our lives. That's for you to fill out. For me to live is, what are you living for? What excites you? What are you passionate about? I mean, for me, to, for me to live is money. Would you have to say money, earning money? And to die, therefore, is what? To leave it all behind. Or you might say, for, to me to live is fame. To make a name for myself. And then to die is what? To be forgotten. Or for me to live is power. To get control, to get power. And then to die is what? To lose it all. Or if you're an unbeliever, maybe you say, for to me to live is is to have the world. Well, then to die is what? To lose your soul. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. As we make the transition into the Lord's Supper, hang with me. Give me your attention. This has the potential. Okay, you're still rustling about. I know I don't have your attention. This literally can be one of the most significant days in your entire life. I'm going to invite you this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to make a decision that I made many years ago that I believe, I'm just being totally transparent with you, I believe the most transformative decision that I've ever made in my entire Christian life of over 45 years. And here it is. Are you willing to say this morning, are you willing to make this resolve, this decision? Of course, by God's grace, God, I'm no longer going to focus on how my circumstances turn out. I'm going to just stop doing that. That's how I've been living life. And I even looked at it as you as sort of a means to get what I want. For things to work out the way that I thought would be best, that would create the least pain for me or for my loved ones or whatever it might be. And I'm asking you today to say, God, I'm releasing that. From this moment on, I'm not going to focus on how my circumstances turn out. I'm going to acknowledge that's your decision. I surrender that to you. And from this moment on, My singular focus will be how to use my circumstances to make Christ known to others. From now on, how to be that telescope, how to be that microscope for unbelievers, to magnify your greatness. And it's very appropriate to challenge you with that as we come to the Lord's Supper, because here we see Jesus was willing to endure the cross for your salvation. Amen? That's what we celebrate. Are you willing to endure the cross of adverse circumstances for Him as an opportunity to demonstrate His greatness to others? Jesus transformed the cross, an instrument of execution and pain and torture and death, into an instrument of life. Are you willing to allow God to transform your adverse circumstances, your pain, your agony, as an instrument? To bring life to others. Folks, I've never made a more important decision in my life. Am I saying that I have lived that perfectly out from that point on? No. But from that point on, my entire focus in life was changed. And when I got off, I always knew what to come back to. Because I'm telling you, we don't even realize how much time, how much energy, how much of our prayers, even our credit is evolved around us trying to get, to, 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 to for our circumstances, turn out the way we want them to. Rather than just leaving that to God, I trust you. I just want to use my circumstances from this point on to exalt Jesus. So instead of fighting you, I'm going to receive these circumstances as not unwelcome intruders, but friends, opportunities, and I'm going to trust you. I may not know how. I may not can see how this is, where this is going to lead. But again, that's not my business. That's God's business. My focus is this moment, this moment, this moment. Paul said that Christ with all, even what? Right now. Right now, he said. His focus was this moment. That right now, I'm going to blossom wherever God has planted me. So the question is, where are you right now? And are you willing to say, okay, right now, this moment, this is where you've planted me. And I'm going to blossom for you. By your grace, through the power of the word, the prayers, and the provision of the Spirit of God. And folks, what gives us the freedom to gladly make that decision with delight, without fear? Because of this we can know that the hands of the potter that shapes our circumstances are the nail scarred hands of Jesus the one thing you don't have to doubt is his love and if you don't doubt his love what does John say love cast out all what fear let's be honest What's motivating you is not so much faith, but fear of your circumstances. Fear of what might or might not happen. Release that. That's not your responsibility. That's God's again. And say, simply, to live Christ. To die gain. And what a wonderful way to live. That's the way to enter rest. That's the way to enter peace. It's not a life free from pain. It's not a life free from agony and difficulty and hurt and perplexity. But this explains how Paul could know peace. How he could know joy. How he could know contentment in the midst of all that he was going through. Because he understood what God had called him to be. A microscope and a telescope. And the circumstances were just instruments to accomplish that purpose. I ask our men... Uh, to assume their places, uh, and then I'll pray, and then after i pray, uh, you're welcome to come and partake of the bread and the juice, which of course represents the body of Christ sacrificed for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, uh, to cancel your sin debt before God, to impute His righteousness to you, and give you a right standing before God. And then my invitation, my challenge to you is as you come during this time of praise and worship, my challenge is will you make that commitment I just ask you to make? Father, we love you, we adore you, and we thank you that we can be confident that you are a sovereign God who knows best. And not only do you know best, but you love us most. And so, Lord, thank you that we, with joy, can release our lives and circumstances to you. We can say, I want to stop trying to affect how my circumstances turn out. and Just give that to you. And now, Lord, I want my singular focus to be on how to use my circumstances to exalt you to be that microscope, to be that telescope, to live and spread the gospel of Christ. So thank you as we come. We can only do that because of the sacrifice you already made for us. And we praise you for that. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Come and partake. If you're not able to physically make your way down, if you'd simply raise your hand, we have men that can bring the elements uh, to you, uh, but the others of you, just as you're uh, instructed by the deacons, if you would come down the one side and go back up uh, the other side. We also have men up in the balcony that will be serving there as well. So again, the challenge has been issued. Will you make that decision? And then as you do, let's continue to enter a time of praise and worship. We're going to sing one more uh, song of praise and uh, worship uh, together, uh, but I will utilize uh, this particular song, of course. Uh, if anyone would like to come uh, forward uh, to unite with the church, make a public profession of faith in any decision uh, whatsoever, I'll just ask. I'll just have you uh, remain seated, and uh, you just continue to praise him, you continue to worship him. But I'll remain here, of course, at the front to welcome anyone who would like to come. Uh, forward, uh, but let's join in this marvelous song in praising the great I Am. Let me ask you to take a seat just for a moment. I just want to introduce several folks to you. Uh, Jeff, Glenda, this is Jeff and uh, Glenda Hansel. I had the wonderful opportunity to get to know them a little bit better last Sunday. They came to the uh, guest uh, new member uh, fellowship. They have uh, recently come here from San Antonio, uh, Texas. Uh, Jeff, a long career in the Air Force, Uh, you said 25 years, uh, now working uh, civil service, and uh, they're coming to uh, unite with our church, be a part of the church family, and it's our joy to welcome you, and trust God, just remain standing, and then Katie, I told Katie, I already thought she was a member, but this is uh, uh, Katie Hamilton, Uh, we've grown to love her, she's plugged into the church in uh, many ways, matter of fact, I appreciated your dad, Charlie, where's Charlie? Charlie uh, came up during the Lord's Supper. Uh, They're from out of town, him and his wife. And he he asked if we would pray uh, for their church. Uh, He says, I have a wonderful pastor, but they just need God's touch renewing and reviving work. And I said, Charlie... I'll agree to pray for your church if you'll, agree, if you'll pray that God will do the same thing here at Edgewood because we need it just as much. And so uh, appreciate you, Charlie, sharing that. And we, of course, love your daughter. Your, uh, I'm, I'm on his best guy list. Uh, because for a long time I thought Charlie was Katie's brother and not her dad. So he thinks I'm the greatest thing on the face of the earth. He, he just thinks I'm, I'm wonderful. But uh, it is a joy to welcome Katie and the uh, Hansels and we trust you folks will uh, not just be spectators but participants and uh, I know you already have been participating in many ways and I know God's given you all some very unique gifts and I know your heart to plug in and so we want to invest in you, but we're looking forward to what you have to contribute to the church as well. We trust that God will bless. Eddie, would you uh, mind leading these folks out to the vestibule and uh, give our, our folks have an opportunity in just a moment uh, to express uh, their love and appreciation? Go ahead. And then, uh, you know, we always conclude uh, a Lord's Supper time, giving you an opportunity to minister uh, to one another, and we will do that. Uh, We will go ahead and uh, conclude the service, Uh, but uh, we think this is a vital part of the Lord's Supper, so don't feel like you have to rush out. Uh, We always like to provide an opportunity for you to encourage one another, pray for one another, express appreciation uh, to one another so you feel free to linger as long uh, as you would like. And in light of what we discussed today, folks, we desperately need one another uh you know that paul needed uh his brothers and sisters praying for him in that prison you know he he could not have done it uh by himself and that's what he was acknowledging when he was asking for their prayers and we go through trials and sufferings and yes we want to be that microscope and telescope and use our circumstances to exalt jesus but it's easier said than done isn't it it is and, and that's where we need one another's I- encouragement uh So uh, I'm just going to open it up right now. You're welcome to move about and just minister, love on one another. But then at whatever point, you're free to exit and you're dismissed. Trust we'll see you back tonight.